All right, we're back with the fifth episode of Extra Rounds Podcast. We didn't have an episode last week because I had to go to the doctor. So we uh, never got to talk about UFC 202. So we'll talk about that, I think, at the end of the show. And uh, we'll start off talking about Bellator 160 and the UFC Vancouver card, just because those were more recent, uh, to get that out of the way before touching on UFC 202 to end. And we, uh, for the first time, don't have any interviews. Well, I just wanted to focus on, on my Mike Dice time this week. So, and, you know, and the, other, the other thing Mike's not telling you is that we also didn't have an episode last week because he wanted to teach everyone, myself included, a lesson about appreciating him more. <laughs> I learned my lesson. I'm not going to do it again, Mike. I'm sorry. I'm glad we're back, man. The submission radio guys would, would vouch for that. <laughs> they know how important time with me is. Um, anyway, so let's, let's get right into it. Uh, why don't we start with Bellator 160 since that was Friday night. No. Uh, the big news that came out from Bellator last week, which was officially announced during the broadcast, was Rory McDonald signing. Yeah. Uh, Rory McDonald, a lot of people thought that he could leave the UFC based on things that he said. He ultimately decided to leave and sign with Bellator. Uh, so first off, what's your just initial reaction to that? I guess I had forgotten for like a couple of weeks that he would seem pretty close. And then <laughs> when the news came out, it was like, oh, oh, that's right. He was a free agent and he was he was talking about going elsewhere. Uh, I think I'm imagining Rory did it uh, because they offered him more money than the UFC was offering coming off of uh, a couple losses. I can see that, in which case, good for Rory, right? Like, how can you not go with where you're being offered more money? Um, the other thing, the downside of that was, other than, like, missing seeing him fight against other top, the best of the best welterweights in the world, the other thing that was kind of curious, Mike, when they announced it was, like, uh, the reception he got was like nothing in Bellator. And that might be because there's very few people at Bellator events. You mean lukewarm from the crowd? Yeah, like they w- it's, it wasn't like they, you know, like it wasn't like a big deal. Like I feel like Mandy Moore gets a lot of ovation at UFC events in the audience than he did there. So it's just, it's tough <laughs> did because- you say Mandy Moore? I sure did. She's a big UFC fan. And when she gets popped up on that screen, people recognize. And Roy didn't get that. And it's probably, it's probably just because- Bellator, for as good as their production is, as great as many of their division's fighters are, they don't sell a lot of tickets yet, and so there's not a lot of there's not a lot of energy <laughs> in the room and the arenas when they are at sometimes. Um, so maybe that was it, but that kind of bummed me out. I was like, what's going through Rory's head? He's used to fighting in like big stadiums, people roaring, like fans patting him. They introduce him, one of the biggest signings in that promotion's history, and it's like, oh, okay, I'll come back from buying my Coke. That's got to feel weird to him, you know. Well, do you think the fact that like news of it kind of came out like Tuesday? Yeah, that and could then be they announced yeah, it Friday. Everybody's like, okay, okay true, true. Go. It's not like you know, the glass broke and Stone yeah. Cold Steve Austin like walked in <laughs> out of nowhere and it was like completely unexpected. <laughs> That's true. Like everybody was like, oh, you know, the deal wasn't. Scott Coker said the deal wasn't officially signed till Friday, right before Bellator 160 or during Bellator 160. Um, so he made it sound like the signing had just occurred. Mm. That being said. The news had already trickled out from yeah. uh, the people at Flow Combat on Tuesday, That's a good point. which kind of, you know, did that kill the momentum or the surprise factor? You know, we heard, uh, um, not to compare this to the UFC, but with UFC 199 when they had the Brock Lesnar announcement right. and, like, the news broke from Ariel Hawani uh, beforehand, like, it ruined the big surprise. Yeah. Now, that was a matter of a couple hours, and people yeah. like Joe Rogan weren't on their phones or didn't see it. You know, probably a lot of people in the arena didn't see it. Most didn't um, that, yeah. You know, so it wasn't quite as big of a spoiler thing, but from Tuesday to Friday, that's a lot of time to 
That's true. Pick up on that news. So that's true. I would still hope that Bellator fans would be excited to actually see him in, in their midst. Right. But no, I mean, that's actually a really good point, yeah. But he's also not the dynamic personality no. that, uh, that it was. And it's not that he's not a personable person. He's oh, just, no. he's very, I don't know if dry is the right word or deadpan, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. But like he comes out and they're interviewing him and he's like, I'm coming for the 170 pound title and then 185. And it's just like, he just put two divisions on notice. Eh, right off the yeah, bat. Yeah. Um, but to get back to your point That's about true. the contract, he actually, this is what he said in the mm-hmm. post-fight press conference uh, in regards to the UFC. He said they offered, th- and they gave a decent offer. I just don't feel it was anywhere near what Bellator was giving me. Mm-hmm. And then he said there were other factors that weren't monetary and that Bellator has more opportunities for him. And he talked about them going into Canada. So the UFC, I guess, gave him an offer, but he wasn't a huge fan of it. And I've talked to... I talked to some UFC fighters in regards to the fighters union uh, from the press conference mm-hmm. at 202. And one of them was kind of trying to explain to me the inner workings of what a contract negotiation with the UFC is like. And one of the things he told me is that uh, they look at rankings. So like if you're ranked, you know, ninth and you beat the sixth guy and you're making 30 K and the guy 30 and 30 and the guy you beat at six is making 50 and 50. And the guy at number three is making 80 and 80, you know, so you beat the sixth guy and they rank you, and then you're saying okay i want a big move up from 30 and 30 like they won't give it to you because they'll compare it to other fighters pay yeah. why not so rory being in a stacked division it makes you wonder if he like wanted more and they wouldn't give him more and if that was kind of the bargaining tactic that they used i imagine so they use that a lot and it's one of the big it's one of the biggest reasons that it's a problem for them to have their own rankings it's right. it's but it's definitionally corrupt and that's why for example in boxing which is regulated federally uh at, at least in theory by the ali act one of the provisions in there is that you need to have quote-unquote independent rankings and it's not that boxing associations themselves that are quote-unquote independent don't have their own problems with corruption of course of course they do once you have any institution created it has some power you're gonna have some issues but yeah the ufc when they were negotiating uh a couple years back with nate diaz nate diaz wanted a new contract so he w- he and his agent were trying to Re, re, renegotiate, which happens in sports all the time, right? We read about that in different sports. So-and-so wants to renegotiate. They like the deal at first, but now they hey, say, hey, you know, I think I'd like to renegotiate. Sometimes it happens for them. Sometimes it doesn't. In any case, one of the things the UFC did, contrary to their own criteria of their own rankings, which is, is they dropped them from the rankings while negotiating with them. Right. And then they went, you know, and then that allows them presumably to go and say, hey, you're not ranked. Well, <laughs> isn't that a son of a gun? Yeah, I'm not ranked. You control the rankings. Yeah. You have well, a bunch like of weird... A bunch of not, in my opinion, proven journalists making that up and the, uh, making those rankings up, the UFC official rankings, and then you've got the UFC having veto power over it all. And who votes in those rankings? Like, I don't vote in those rankings. I, Do you vote in those rankings? I, I specifically just said I would not. I was asked I to. I mean, I've never looked into it. I've never been asked to. But They have their names on there. You can go and, and see who they are, and I'm sure they're fine human beings and, and humanitarians, but they, they're not the... They're not the most experienced folks. And at the end of the day, more than me like <laughs> being insulting to other journalists, the UFC decides who stays on there regardless of the votes. And uh, some other notable things that Rory said from that press conference was he said uh, he called the Robbie Lawler fight a title opener, an eye opener. And um, back to the rankings, Benson Henderson, in an interview that he did with Dwayne Finley, man, I guess right around when he signed his uh, contract with Bellator, he said uh, he talked about, 
you have a contract and it's for X amount of dollars and that sounds great on paper, but a lot of it's indicative on like you getting a title shot and you, if you're fighting for the title, you're making more money. And then he's like, but the UFC controls whether you get a title shot or not. So they can control whether you get that payday or not. Exactly. But Benson Henderson also mentioned that Bellator and their parent company Viacom offers him other opportunities that he doesn't get in the UFC. Rory McDonald kind of alluded to that as well saying, uh, there are a lot of opportunities that Bellator is giving me. So we haven't seen it come to fruition with uh, Benson Henderson yet. Right. Um, or really the other guys before, like Rampage or Randy Couture. Like or Matt Mitrione. Yeah. Or everyone thinks there's a lot of opportunities because it's a big Bonner. company. Yeah, but let's see. Let's see but, what they so can like, do. Wh- I, my thing is, like, and maybe I'm just focusing on the wrong thing, but I'm like, well, what are those other opportunities yeah. that you're talking about? In my mind, they're referencing the network of shows, so maybe is it that you just get more publicity, that there's um, a network of TV shows so you can make appearances on those shows yeah. to get promotion for yourself? Is it that they're talking about them having their own reality show? Or like, what are those opportunities? And when will we see what those opportunities were? Because at least for Benson... It was a factor in leaving the UFC. Yeah, that's you. You bring up the right questions. I think the only real insight so far we have is what some of these folks under, including like to be fair, there was like different people running the Bellator when when Rampage got signed to them and said, "I want to have my own reality show. I'm going to have. I'm going to." They were talking to me about getting you know more movie deals and stuff like that. And then he was disappointed with those opportunities not coming along or not being exactly what he wanted. <coughs> I think we should have some of these folks on. I think we can. We can, you know, and ask them about current people and fast people. Like, what what were they told? What were they promised contractually? And, and you know, what or what are they looking forward to? Right? That that's been talked to. Because yeah, I, we don't really know. And I think it's easy, in my view. This is just totally not. This is just my opinion. In my view, it could be very, very easy for a fighter to believe that a promotion that is owned by a media giant like Viacom says when they say talk about movies television shows all sorts of stuff especially if they're already coming to the table with more guaranteed money right You're like well hey in writing they're gonna give me more money than anyone else they get some credibility in my book now they're telling me that possibly i'll get these other opportunities we got to find out what they are but i don't I, I think it's a lot more complicated i think viacom is a company at the very top levels as a, a lot of folks may know ha- has a lot of there's a lot of power struggles going on right now they don't know who's going to even be running this company <laughs> right now. Uh, so that's a tough thing to deal with. And then Bellator itself has has some, some mixed things. Like, are they a promotion or are they a television show for a spike? Mm-hmm. I don't know. They don't sell tickets like a promotion. They don't even, you know, they, they're given a certain budget like a television show would. So it's a weird thing. And I think fighters should go where they think they're getting the best money, guaranteed money. Uh, but I have yet to see the like the Viacom sweet deal pay off in other avenues just like I think I've yet to see UFC's incentivized like graduated in, you know, income increases pay off for many fighters the way they probably tell them it, it could pay off for them the, my issue with uh, Bellator is they're so west coast based they do a lot of shows in San Jose this show was in Anaheim they've done shows in Temecula um, every now and then they do a big show in St. Louis. I think St. Louis was one of the dynamite shows. They've done some in Kansas City, Star, uh, you know, Kansas Star Arena or yeah. whatever in Mulvane, Kansas. And 
they do stuff at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. So you're going to like the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. I used to live in Connecticut. It's not exactly the most accessible place. It's, you know, closer to Boston, but midway between the cities. And why why aren't you going on the tour, so to speak, that like uh, the UFC does going to cities or to compare it to the WWE that they do? You know, they make sure they hit cities and they go around the country so that the fans can see it. Like, you know, when was the last time Bellator was in Chicago? UFC has one show a year in Chicago. Now, right. Chicago hasn't always been the most successful market for the UFC. Uh, I think that's partially due to the timing of when they come. But why not? There's a market that's being underserved by the UFC that that's the third largest market in the country. Why aren't you um, thinking, hey, man, we need to have an annual show there minimum or show at places like Dallas or Houston that, you know, every few years. They, there was a, what, a period where they did – they did 171 and then 185 in Dallas in back-to-back years. They did 192 in Houston, but I think it had been a few years since they had done a show in Houston before that. You know, those are both huge markets. Like, I think Dallas is number four and maybe close to passing Chicago for number three because it's a huge metroplex. Uh, if you look at Texas, like, five of the top ten most populated cities are Dallas and suburbs. Oh, wow. Um, but it's like, why aren't you going – yeah. You know, hitting up those markets that are underserved by the UFC and trying to capitalize on the people who are MMA fans who don't get an opportunity to go see uh, the UFC because right. the UFC comes only so often. And that's not because the UFC is booking unfairly or not uh, avoiding certain markets. There's just a lot of venues to go uh, to yeah. and only so many events. And that's just the reality of the situation. It's not I mean, I'm sure if the UFC wanted to, they would book shows in every city but that's just not the reality of the situation so i you know i don't know really good points i mean i think they don't really have they either don't have much of a ticket selling strategy or it's not in sync with the television i mean for example and and our listeners can correct me if i'm wrong i don't i don't think i am though you you mentioned how california centric bellator is all right staying close to home cool they're not even live on the West Coast. That's how crazy this is. So they were in Anaheim, and that was tape delayed. Mm. I don't know what was on Spike, probably cops. That's a lot of times what's on reruns of cops is often running on the West Coast instead of Bell- live Bellator events. Like, that's weird. That's not a sports live event strategy. Like, to not have live fights that are going to be reported on by news outlets and stuff on live and an entire, you know, huge segment of the country, including L.A., that's weird. That's either bad or dumb, in my opinion, or it's just like there's a, they're, they're not out of, they're not on the same page between like promoting um, events like arenas and the television side. So I went back to what you were bringing up earlier. Fighters saying there's opportunities. Be wary of of these promised synergistic opportunities because they can't even get straight like yet, like the airing and, and when fights are on. That's that's really weird to me to be a California centered event and not have uh, things alive in the West Coast. And it's a really disservice. It's a real big disservice to their product because one, the television product is pretty good production wise. I like it. Oh, it, it's, it's solid. It's the, incredible. The stage, the introductions, yeah. it's fun. And the fighters are awesome. In many of their divisions, they have scores of people uh, that can compete with anyone in the UFC. And we're seeing that now with guys like Eddie Alvarez coming over. Like they have gr- some of the best fighters in the world, as good as people you see in the UFC and a pretty decent television product. Yeah, you got to you got to you got to give that a chance. They bring out the best elements of wrestling into MMA. They have the stage, the walkouts, yeah. 
uh, you had Dave Rickles come out on the throne wearing a lion. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it was A.J. McKee. He came out wearing, like, the tuxedo with the penguin tails and, like, a gladiator helmet. I don't know what was going on there. And, of course, there was Benson Henderson, who wasn't a fan of his fight music. I don't know exactly what happened there. But he uh, – anyways – uh, they it makes it entertaining, and maybe it's because they felt like they didn't have the stars quite yet. But you're getting the stars now. You have you know a very talented welterweight division. You have the Pitbull brothers, who I think are underappreciated. You have Benson Henderson now. You have you know Matt Mitrione. You have uh, Roy McDonald. You have uh, I don't know if I said it, Michael Page. Right. Um, I'm forgetting people. Sure, uh, a ton. Chandler. Yeah, and lightweight. Yeah, you know you can. They just recently had Will Brooks till he left. Like they yeah. had some of the best guys out there, you know. Uh, Andre, yeah, the welterweight yeah. champion, yep, yep. you know. So I don't know. We'll see where they go. For all we know, that's in their future and their plans. And Scott Coker's working on it. I hope so. And Scott Coker has had a lot of success because he's a, he's a he's a good promoter. Um, I think he he walked into a tough situation, but uh, yeah, I mean they got great talent and a great product. I, I hope I hope they make it easy for people to to watch that good product. Well, let's move on and get to Benson Henderson. He was fighting Patricio Pitbull. This fight yeah. was uh, billed as uh, the winner gets a shot at lightweight champion Michael Chandler. Benson Henderson's fought the most of his career at lightweight, though he was wrapping up his UFC career at welterweight, and his first fight in Bellator was at welterweight. Patricio is a former featherweight champion, so he was going up in weight. Um, and it looks like Patricio was getting the better of Benson, though there wasn't exactly a whole lot of action in the fight to start. And then uh, a leg kick seemed to catch Henderson's knee or something like that. There was an injury. The fight was stopped. Henderson won in not-so-dramatic fashion. Um, a lot of the people on the Internet are like, man, Benson Henderson's getting a title shot, and he doesn't even have a legitimate win. Do you think it was a legitimate win? I mean, there was nothing crooked about it. So sometimes that's just the way the crooked crumbles and, and it's not very satisfying. That's the other thing. Everybody's like, it's a work. And it's like, if uh, I think they would come up with something a little bit more exciting. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Let's get some steel chairs in there or something, man. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, assuming this for, for the, the people that are uh, talking about conspiracies, assuming the x-ray photos that uh, uh, <laughs> he put out afterwards of his leg were real. You know, he had a fractured leg, and it's tough to, to fu- tough to fight like that, I imagine. So, yeah, is it is it unsatisfying? Sure, but there there appears to be nothing crooked about it. So, I guess if that was that what was at stake in that fight, it was unsatisfying. It was not clean, but it wasn't you know dirty or corrupt. So you got to go forward. Well, Henderson said in the post fight press conference, he was he said uh, he referenced Chris Weidman against Anderson Silva yeah. was at UFC 167. Yeah, where, you know the leg check. A pretty poor analogy on his part, but I don't blame him. Broke it. Well, <laughs> he was kind of like uh, he was saying, you know, Chris Weidman won a fight that way, and it really made me pay attention to the way that I was checking my leg kicks. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I worked on. He's like, obviously, I didn't go in thinking that that's how I was going to win the sure. fight, but it's something that I was aware of because well, of smart. the fight, yeah. and something that I worked on. And he's like, so you know. Yeah, I think that's a good. That's a, that. It, to be fair, that's a really great point in his part, and I'm glad you're bringing it up because it's not like at free range, people tripped, fell on his own. You know, he he tried something. It was blocked in a way that hurt him. Yeah, and uh, I, his opponent did something defensively better than he did offensively. And uh. Pitbull said it was have what the the injury actually occurred in the first round. Ah. And he tried to fight through, and it was a too soldier. much pain by the second round, or maybe he kicked again and. 
it hurt it even more and Jeez. he just realized he couldn't go on. So, I mean, it was a disappointing finish, but sure. like that's not Benson Henderson's fault. No. You know, to his credit, like you said, and like he pointed out, he did something good. It's not like it's not like he absorbed a flush head kick which broke his shin. No, he, 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 he you know, an offensive maneuver was attempted. He checked it appropriately and it and it had a better than expected outcome for him. Can't blame him, you know. Well, yeah. you, can, you can credit him. You can't blame him. <laughs> it was disappointing, though. I was really sure. looking forward to the fight. I really like the Pickle Brothers. Um, they're like Bellator's version of the Diaz's. <laughs> you know, oh, they're, they're solid. They'll jump you. Remember that whole incident with yeah. Will Brooks, speaking of? Um, but yep. he, uh, you know, it is what it is. What can you do about it? Right. It happened. Henderson got his title shot. So we'll see yeah. what happens when he fights with Michael Trainer. And Henderson was fight. very upbeat about it and not, you know, down on himself for the way that he won. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? Have this guy in the twilight of his career fight four more people before he gets a title shot? Like, I mean, that's that's yeah. what you brought him over for. Like, come on, you brought him over for big fights. So yeah. You gotta put him in the big fights. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on to UFC on Fox, which was in Vancouver last night. Uh, it was the undercard was could left left some to be desired before going into the event, but the main card was stacked. Yeah. Like, it was an event that I was really looking forward to. Uh, we're going to focus on the main card. The first fight up was a rematch of Joe Lozona, Jim Miller. And it was uh, as great as the first fight. Yeah. Less bloody. Yeah, right. But, right. but, but just still great. Yeah. a great fight. Absolutely. Um, the big shocking part is that Jim Miller got the win. Yeah. For me, it was. Yeah. You had Jim Miller winning. No, no. I mean, I, I was shocking for me. I had Joe Lozon winning. So clearly. I scored Joe Lozon to win. So I tweeted out that Lazon won 29-28. And this guy's like, you're crazy. Joe won all three rounds. And I was like, I I can see that argument. Um, And then Miller won the fight. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) So there's this website, MMA Decisions, that Mm -hmm. tracks all the uh, decisions from media personalities who opt into it or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at that. Out of 26... Uh, media members who submitted their score for the fight only two had miller winning hmm. two had miller winning which is crazy yeah I, I i as a rule like make a point to like not care how anyone else is scoring it but that is interesting and i happen to agree with with the majority of those folks whoever they are then um yeah i thought okay listen as as far as great competitive close fights go this was as clear for one person as, as I thought you, you can't have in this type of situation. Listen, every round was hard fought. The whole fight was hard fought. Jim Miller had great moments, including at the beginning of the third round where he clearly hurt Joe. And he had, he had good moments in every round. But I still feel that I felt every single round uh, in my scorecards. I thought the first was the hardest to score. But in my scorecards, I still had... Uh, Joe winning every round. Um, so I thought it was clear simply because he scored takedowns such as they were every single round. He spent huge chunk of each round on top, controlling the action, doing uh, good ground strikes. He ended the fight working for a, a submission from a dominant position. I believe he ended the second fight, a second round uh, as well, Lozon did, on top. Like, yes, Miller had his moments, and then Joe would turn the tide and the, end the, end the round or the fight in a dominant position to me and the way I look at fighting that gives it to, uh, you know, that gives a fight to him. So I was pretty shocked by it. I thought it was unfortunate. 
The only silver lining is, well, there's two maybe. Both guys got performance of the night, so they got a little bit of money. Uh, or, or fight of the night, so they both got a little bit extra money. And both guys are so classy that they had a lot of respect for it afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe tweeted out, hey, you know, I'm still a big fan of Jim Miller. Uh, Jim Miller said, I want my kids to look up to you as a role model. So, you know, that's nice. It's nice that in something with such high stakes, both men literally trying to feed, help feed their families, uh, uh, that when you have a disappointing, controversial decision that both guys can still come out with mutual respect in the moment. Like, that's kind of tough. I'm sh- it's crushing to lose something like that. So it was an amazing fight. I thought it was a pretty bad decision as far as good competitive fights go. But both guys still showed a lot of class afterwards. So that's cool, I guess. I just wish they each got a million bucks for it. And the real tragedy is that the fans won't get a third one. Yeah, well, that's true, right? Yeah, because if, if Joe would have won, then it's split. And then, man, let's put these two amazing, well-rounded fighters who always produce action against each other again. Like, why not? Right. Good but, point. You know, now Miller up two fights to none, and there's not a reason to book yeah. a third one. Yeah. Which yeah. is, in its own right, disappointing because it was an incredible fight. Both fights were incredible. Yeah. Uh, the really next was. the next big fight of the night was Paige Van Zant fighting Beck Rawlings. She uh, went for a jump scissor kick in the first round, missed, went for it again in the second round, and landed and got a huge knockout win in a return from Dancing with the Stars. So what was your reaction to what you saw from Paige in her return? I thought it was great. I thought um, the first round was really close. Like Paige got stung a few times. She fired back well. It was a competitive fight. I said, oh, wow, you know, uh, Beck's going to give herself a – a chance to really make her star here because it looks like she might be able to be there with Paige or and, you know have an opportunity to win right out the gate with your back pretty close to the cage wall to come out with a uh, a flying switch kick pretty gutsy uh, from Paige and it was on point it was it was the element of surprise it was not her shin it was her foot but hey if you don't see that foot coming it hits you right on the jaw it's it, you know it'll knock you down it would have knocked me down I'm almost 200 pounds like it was just really awesome beautiful technique you know if I don't see that coming it's it's gonna knock a, a horse out, right? So that was pretty cool. Um, I still, still think the highlight for me, believe it or not, was Miss UFC, who was resented by so many older, more experienced fighters for for her pay and being paid more than most of them, coming out before the fights and saying, <laughs> as answering a, a seemingly innocuous probably fun intention question of what did you learn from your experience in dancing in the stars coming out with the answer of I learned that I don't get paid much at all compared to other athletes so someone as favorite as Paige coming out before this fight and saying I'm not happy with what the UFC pays me was kind of interesting especially with multiple would-be unions uh with all the free agents signings elsewhere that was kind of crazy to me uh it was more surprising than the switch kick. <laughs> yeah, to me, it absolutely was. I don't expect Sage, Northcutt, or Paige Van Zandt to come and say anything critical of the UFC, which has elevated them above so many of their peers so much faster than other people have gotten those opportunities. But she's right, still. I mean, if I was Sage Northcutt, I wouldn't be complaining about pay at all. I, that's why I'm shocked. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought uh, Paige would either. Yeah. I wouldn't have, you know. Um, the other interesting thing about this is where she stands in the strawweight division. Yeah. A lot of people uh, feel like because of her star power, the Dancing with the Stars, her name recognition, that she gets moved up the rankings or considered in contention with 
uh, higher ranked fighters than where her talent level actually lies. Where do you think her talent level lies? I think she's young, but I think she's, um, I think she's a great fighter and I think she's beaten really great fighters. Uh, I just think she's probably not going to be able to beat the top three to five. And that's not a real big knock on her, but I think that's, that's kind of where I see. I feel like she's not as good as, um, the champion. She's not as good as the number one title contender who just fought for it. She's not a uh, Claudia. She's not as good as Rose Namajunas. But uh, I think Paige Van Zandt g- will probably beat anyone outside of the top five in the UFC's division, in my view. She came into this fight ranked 10th, I believe, mm. which, you know, uh, Michelle Waterson would be uh, a fight that would get a lot of attention. Yeah. She's ranked 11th. You know, Valerie Letourneau would be a, a huge test for her. And she's currently ranked eighth. Or Joanne Calderwood would even be an interesting fight. Um, yeah, there's good fights out there for her. Absolutely, without throwing her to the wolves of people that she probably doesn't have a good chance of beating right now. She might in five years. She's extremely young. There's no reason to force her way up the title ladder right now. You know what I mean? I Carolina so. just won. That's an interesting fight. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rose is hanging around. You know, even Carla getting another shot eventually down the line. Sure. They, I sure. mean, there's other. Th- there's other things you don't need to force her. I agree uh, with you. Now you can you can wait and let her develop um, and whatnot. But uh, huge huge win. Team Alpha Male went through a sh- rough stretch. Mm. Cody wins. Paige wins. I think Uriah Faber fights at two o three. So you know things are people were counting. You know Chad Mendes he lost a couple. Yeah. So people were down on Team Alpha Male, but Cody kind of carried things going. And, uh, of course, he won in May. He won um, recently. He fought at 202. Uh, Page wins. So that momentum's back for Team Alpha Male. Yeah. And, like, you know, people are fickle and the sport is cruel. But, listen, Team Alpha Male has some of the most experienced top-level veterans uh, in, the, in, the UFC, in, the, in the sports history on their team. And they also have some of the hottest prospects. So they're a solid team. Like, I've never been in the room with them. I don't know their methods. I don't know ex- what their training is like. But they're, they're obviously a great team. So let's move on to uh, the co-main, Anthony Pettis, Charles Oliveira. Yeah, that uh, was something else. Pettis getting the second-round win via guillotine. I don't know if many people thought or saw Pettis getting a submission win coming into that fight. So the other reason why this fight was notable is because it was Pettis' drop down to 145 pounds yeah. after three losses at lightweight. Yeah. So what did you think? How did he look at light or featherweight? I thought he looked great. I thought, um, I thought it was just an extremely tough fight for both men, and we saw that throughout the fight until the finish where Pettis had his back taken, I think, at least three times. Taken down, had his back taken three times. But then he would reverse it, and he did a lot of damage from on top on the ground. He, you know, he did more damage on the feet with his stand-up striking, a lot of shots to the body. But, hey, Oliveira hit him a bunch of times as well. He um, was really good at this technique of when he would get his back and they were standing where he'd back up to the cage yeah. and kind of use the cage to get Oliveira off of him, and then he'd end up in a position where he could get under hooks. Did Up a great job with that. Yeah, it was it was really savvy, cool stuff. It was like the type of things that a great fighter who may not be able to go inch for inch with someone in the grappling, like they may be going at someone better than them, basically, let's just say in jiu-jitsu or wrestling, how they can still hang on, survive, take advantage of some timing and some and some savvy veteran moves and like, you know, reverse positions. That's what that's why it's so hard to finish people 
uh, in, in MMA. And that's why I think a lot of people, myself included, pro- thought that probably Carlos Condit, though he clearly wasn't as good at jiu-jitsu as Damian Maya or wrestling, he probably knew enough to hang on like Roy McDonald or Matt Brown and, you know, and survive and give himself chances to win. We'll go back to that later, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, that was a hell of a fight. Uh, I don't think we, no, people don't expect Anthony Pettis to submit Oliveira. Thing is, Pettis is really great in spots off his back. Like, he's got a great guillotine. He's got a great straight arm bar from his guard. And uh, even if you're quote-unquote better, any little moment, man, when you got someone as tough as him, yeah, I'm looking at the highlight now, as so tough as him and as, as game as him can take advantage of a little moment. All it was in that moment, Oliveira did not have his posture. He leaned over, he hinged over at the waist, had his posture too low and gave him the neck. Well, what's interesting, and we have where we have the highlight in front of us, is that I don't think that they're showing it in the highlight. If I'm remembering correctly, mm. Pettis started this off in his guard yep. and transitioned around to side control to get this kind of north-south position that allowed Oliveira to stand up, which he locked into the guillotine. And him being able to get around Oliveira's leg was just incredible transition work. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah, it really was. You know, Pettis, his losses have become from being outgrappled. But he's a great grappler too. It's just it's tough in certain matches. But that yeah, that was in, that was really really impressive. You're right. It wasn't just the finish. It was his movement on the ground too. Was pretty impressive to get in position. Yeah, which was sure. I mean, he's gone and uh, to Albuquerque to work. Aside from his work with Duke Rufus, and if I'm remembering correctly, I think he's worked with Izzy. Yeah. Uh, so there's he's put in the work, and you know it showed. He was he looked good. No, he did. He did in multiple facets of the uh, fight. So. It's interesting to see what his future lies in featherweight now, which is maybe the second deepest division in hmm. the UFC, maybe the first, depending on <laughs> where you where you uh, see it. And there's definitely a logjam at the top of the division because you have Jose Aldo waiting to see what happens with Conor McGregor, Max Holloway, who's got a string of wins, who deserves a title shot. So, um, you know, where does Pettis fit in in featherweight? going forward he think he needs to uh, and he pointed out that Charles Oliveira was the sixth ranked guy huh. so he feels like he needs to be thrust into the top five which is fine sure but I mean I think he's still a few fights away from even being considered in the title because there's like get in line you know Jose <laughs> Max you know then the rest is up for debate I mean that's not a I, I could see where you come with that perspective I, I think maybe it's just being realistic, I don't see any reason why a former lightweight champ, if he comes in and beats two people in the top five or so, and I had Alvaro in my top five, like if he beats another person in the top five, like I don't see how you don't consider him up up there for another would you, chance. Would you have him leapfrog Holloway for a shot? I, you know, let's say Aldo yeah. and McGregor resolve whatever happens I there. The other thing would. to think about too is if Aldo beats McGregor, right, then the trilogy fight there is happening. Yeah, no, no, so that's a good point. that kicks the can down the line for Pettis or Holloway even further. Yeah. Here's here's a fight that I think mm. they should make for Pettis next. Mm. And uh, this wasn't all 100% me. Uh, it was from a conversation with some people on Twitter that this idea kind of came to fruition. Frankie Edgar versus Anthony Pettis, UFC 205, New York City. Great fight. Frankie Edgar is from New Jersey. Pettis is Puerto Rican. Huge Puerto Rican population sure. in New York City. There's a market there for both of them, and I think that would be really compelling, and Frankie would be a tough test. Also a former lightweight champion, Yeah. so not an easy fight. I think it's an awesome fight. I would pay 30 bucks just to watch that single fight. I don't think it'll happen, though. If it happens, I'll be there. I'm celebrating. Like That's cool. I love that fight. It's a great idea. One, I don't think Pettis can make that weight cut again so soon. I don't know. I'm not in his camp, but he looked... 
drawn well, out. I think Lutrition. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. If anyone can help him, any, he he could. But yeah, I mean, he's just he's a t- he's not a short dude, and he was drawn out. But yeah, I, mean, I don't know what his c- cut is like. I don't know if he's cutting a lot of weight or if he's got it really low and then dropped a little bit. I don't know. But I think it's a tough turnaround for him. I'm only imagining. Secondly, I don't know. It. I think the UFC. I think it's a bad matchup for Anthony Pettis. Mm-hmm. I think he could win it. He could beat anyone in the world. But if Frankie Edgar really, really wants to employ a strategy that emphasizes him getting in there for takedowns, I think he'll get the takedowns, and I think he'll avoid submissions. Uh, and I don't know if the UFC will want to – this is promotional stuff, not fairness and who deserving. I don't know if the UFC will want to put a really marketable, popular guy like Pettis in a situation where, especially after he got another win finally, where he'll he'll face someone out of a championship caliber – who could beat him for not a championship, right? Like I, I love the fight. Though. I'd love to see those two guys' footwork. I'd love to see their amazing striking with the differences in range, right? Like it would be so cool to see. I don't know if they're gonna do it though. I love it though. If 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 it happens, I'll high five you and I'll give you the credit because I like the idea. You remember that? You heard that here first. <laughs> That's right. That's a, uh, an extra rounds podcast, MD exclusive. When that fight gets booked, I'm gonna be like, it was my idea. That's I'm right. taking credit. <laughs> well, other names: Ricardo Lamas, Cub Swanson, sure. other opponents he could face. I think. Yeah, Ricardo's now got BJ Penn up, which is oh, that's crazy. Right. Yeah, but that's after in Manila, that, yeah, 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 that's a so he's fun fight. right? So Cub Swanson, I think he just fought recently, if I remember. Correctly. Yeah, he did. He just made his return. But you know what? Ricardo Lamas, BJ Penn could still work out because they'll fight soon and Pettis just fought, so they could still go next. I can't believe Yair Rodriguez is 11th on the UFC yeah, rankings. Fair. I don't know. Again, I, I just don't care I don't about these rankings. These rankings like are awful. Five, but like he shouldn't be outside the top 10. I don't guy, think so. That guy's going to be – he's going to compete for the title one day. I think so, and we should got to have him on the show. He's, he's local a lot of the year. I gotta bug that guy. Gotta get him on here. He's awesome. Let's, but let okay. Let's not talk about like a strange aberration in rankings <laughs> outside of the context of these whole rankings being whack. Let go ahead and look who's on there. Let, go ahead and follow them, like throughout the years, and see what it's just. They're bad rankings. Like go to your go to your favorite uh, website and look at their rankings until we get our own, and then look at ours. <laughs> but but like it's just so bad. They're important to talk you about know what? Forget because that. they. Extra rounds rankings. Coming. Actually, we should do it. No, yeah. we should. I, I, coming I, this week. Let's do it. We'll, we'll get it done. And and I feel like we should invite some people to vote. That would be fun. No, we should. Well, I come we up with like a unified. That'd be cool. Unified rankings. Yeah, I like that. Get some other thing. Maybe we'll come up with like the BCS version. That'd be cool. Like, uh, I think other <laughs> websites have their rankings. Like maybe we come up with like this computer equation That's that like. Uh, you know, that takes all the rankings to find a unified ranking kind of system. I'm not going to be guy to come up with that algorithm. Just just so you know, you got to find someone else. I can work else an Excel right. spreadsheet like none other. Because I'm not amazing at Excel. We can get an intern. That's just, just for that. Number, <laughs> you know? Get a Cramerica Industries type in, uh, intern. No, I, I love the idea of us doing our own rankings. And I know it seems like I'm crapping on these rankings a lot. They are important to talk about because they're used, as Mike mentioned earlier, in, in contract negotiations. So we need to talk about them. But they're they're bad. <laughs> They're part of a corrupt system, in my view. So, right. Shame on anyone who puts uh, these whack things together. Um, in in my view, and not the administrators and the good people who like literally compile this, the the results are given. But shame on the uh, the journalists who are in a weird conflict oh. of interest with the UFC and doing it. Yeah, here's the name. Oh, they're all there. These these are the people who vote. Yeah, I recognize one name. No, and I bet they're sexy as hell. But I just don't like their rankings. You know, that's all. <laughs> and I think it's dubious to do this 
with the UFC and a thing that they're monetizing and a thing is that they're it? using for fighters. Is this fighters. really it? The entire voting? It, it might be. I think they have trouble Or is getting... this the only pe- like more people can vote? These are just the only people who voted last time. No, I, well, I think it's a regular crew. They bug you every week to like submit your results or every, every time there's an event. I think that's it. I think that's the, com- the complete list. Um, I, I know people who were, were on it and then decided to leave. I know people who've turned it down like myself because it's just, listen, it seems innocuous. It isn't. It's used to negotiate with fighters. It's used to make the UFC money. And the UFC, I hope, continues to make lots of money because they're, they're the best promotion out there and they help the sport just by existing. However, it's a different role than a journalist's role. So that's just my take. Well, we're going to have the unified extra, found, extra <laughs> rounds ranking. I'm going to still convince you if we can get our own panel. I'm going to try to convince you of that idea. Us, a couple retired fighters. Uh, like the player other selection media. committee in college yeah. football. No, exactly. Yeah, I think I, we'll, I, we'll have a I party every Sunday after the that. fights. We'll get together. We'll <laughs> all cast our votes, and then we'll be. I think we should do something. I think we should. So we'll keep you guys posted. I like that idea. See, this is what we do. We come up with ideas on the right. podcast. That's right. First, we had the Pettis Edgar fight. Yeah. Then we have this rankings. These things happen. Remember here, we can guarantee the rankings can happen. All right, let's go to the main event. Yeah. Uh, Damian Maya fighting Jeez. Carlos Condit uh, in a matchup of top-ranked welterweights. Damian Maya came in on a five-fight win streak. Carlos Condit just had a war with Robbie Lawler in January for the title. Some say he won that fight, so definitely in the title picture, um, even though you have people like Stephen Wonderboy looming just crowded field. And uh, Damian Maya came in and got a submission win, rear naked choke, in two minutes. Crazy. Shocking. Unbelievable. I don't think and one of the most interesting things was, I think in the fight, he took one strike. And Mike Bond on Twitter, uh, Karen Bryan brought this up at the post-fight press conference, I think. He's taken 13 punches in his last four fights. Yeah, that's what that one site says. It's pretty ridiculous. That's three punches a fight. Yeah. That's insane. It's pretty remarkable. He, but he's, <laughs> And he's like, he's 38. And yeah. he's, he's on this incredible run. He has a style that prevents him from taking damage and allows him to get wins and impressive wins and quick wins. Yeah. Like, you just, what do you, I'm, you're sitting here thinking, this guy could fight way past 40. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's possible, right? Like, depending uh, how much damage he's taking just in practice, yeah, he's got an efficient style. He, he's, um, it's probably all the, the joint injuries – that we don't see that that may exist and I'm assuming exist that will probably cut it short because you're right he how how efficient is he how uh you know how, how I mean, economical is he how effective is he it's it's pretty impressive his head isn't being dribbled off the canvas not in, not in fights not 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 that often you know yeah it's pretty it's pretty remarkable so he wins now he's on a six fight win streak Wonder Boy's on a seven fight win streak GSP's talking about coming back there's the Nick Diaz situation sure like, what do you do in the Tyrone Woodley title fight or first title defense? My pick is Wood, uh, Woodley fights Stephen Thompson next and Damian Maya waits for the winner. That's fine. Listen, we're spoiled as MMA fan, uh, fans because some of these people uh, will go in there and fight five times a year at the highest level for a lot less than other athletes make. But listen, top, top championship boxers oftentimes by the time you get to that level by the time you can command some money and command main event status are fighting once 
twice a year. Sometimes if you're at the top of the top of the sport in boxing, you'll fight every once every well, couple Floyd, of years. Yeah, you know, Floyd it's, would fight twice a year. Exactly. You know, like it's and then it'll take a the couple same, years the off. Same weekends. Yeah, and it'll take a few and it'll take a few exactly. You know, take advantage of those the Mexican holidays, uh, Cinco de Mayo, Mexican Independence Day, May and September. It's why a lot of times these boxers like to do that. There's, there's a lot of bo- uh, boxing fans of Mexican descent and in Mexico. So yeah, you're just smart about it. So Damian Maya who I think might be older than his listed age. I don't know. But, like, he, he can wait a little bit. That's all right. Like, th- that's Well, he that's was saying fine. in the post by press conference I love it. that because he was old that Stephen Thompson should wait. Yeah, that was pretty funny. He's, <laughs> he's I mean, younger. listen, I, I agree. That's just not, like, fair strictly. But, listen, I thought Damian Maya should have gotten the title shot uh, bef- a while ago. And I think he said he would wait. Yeah, he did. Right in the ring afterwards, which I'd love to see that. Uh, f- fighters don't say that enough. They need to. You're not going to get anything you don't ask for. Um, and even if you ask for it, there's no real chance of it. But you've, you've got to stand strong. Like, wh- who's he going to fight now? He's going to just randomly fight someone in the top 20 just because? I guess. Why? Why not? If he's in a, in a place financial where he's he's saying, "Listen, UFC, hey, don't worry about another paycheck for me for a while. Don't worry about it. Just put it towards someone else. Give give uh, Paige Van Zandt a raise because she's she's talking trash about her pay. Just do that. Don't worry so about much it. So shade. Yeah. <laughs> don't just just take your time. Put together a highlight reel for, for the second the next guy wins, and then you could say, I'm the next guy challenging. It's a gift from Damian Maya to Dana White. Don't worry about me. Don't even worry about me till the next fight. Just take your time, splice together some cool stuff, save your cash. That's a gift. They better let him do that. Both him and Steven Thompson deserve title shots next. So the only fair thing is to have one get it and the other one wait. George St. Pierre kind of screws with all that. I hope he ends up wanting Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz instead, and they do that so he doesn't get in the way of these guys' chance. Because George St. Pierre will always deserve, quote-unquote, a title fight. I just I, These other guys are in it, and I would hope they get it. The other thing that's looming large is that UFC 206 Toronto card. Yeah. And it's just like, man, I can totally see. Dana White's very adamant that GSP's not coming back, and he doesn't have the mentality or this or that. Of course, we saw him be very adamant that Brock Lesnar wasn't coming back. Right. And of course, Brock Lesnar fought at 200. Yeah. So, you know, line. read into that however you want to. <laughs> right. Um, but I just see them being like, you know, George St. Pierre, Tyron Woodley, you need to, you need that fight to main event. Cause yeah. otherwise you're putting a non-title fight over a title fight, potentially on a pay-per-view card, which they've done before, right. but they've chosen not to do, they don't do frequently, and I don't think it was really much of an occurrence until um, this past year was the first time they ever did it. Well, yeah, UFC 196. I, yeah. I think there was like one other card there, a yeah, long time ago, but I'm not sure. I could be wrong on yeah, that. I could be, but too. it's not a very frequent thing. But now it's becoming a more frequent thing. Right. You know, UFC 196, uh, the first McGregor Diaz fight over Holm versus Tate for the bantamweight title. So, do you have a titleless card in mm-hmm. Toronto? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's usually a big week for them. And that right. fight is going to be in Toronto, which is another interesting thing that the UFC got rid of their fight week, um, announcing that they would have the Ultimate Fighter finale in Las Vegas on the 9th. I mm. think it's the 9th. And then UFC 206 in Toronto on the 10th. So you have a title fight on the Ultimate Fighter finale. Yeah, And then not a title fight on 206. I mean, it could happen. It could happen, and I think it would sell just fine if George St. Pierre is fighting on it. I mean, if George St. Pierre is the main event, like, you're yeah. good. Right, right. But, but otherwise, it's a major issue. Like, sure. I think you, you're going into a Canadian market. I think you 
I mean, granted, they just had a great Vancouver card, but I right. think you'd put on a show. You'd put a title fight on that card. I think a so. Title fight. I'm not saying it needs to have two, three, whatever title fights. Where are they going to? What what stadium? Back to the big one? Uh, you know, I don't. Because, yeah, I don't, I don't think they want to go to where they set their attendance record and not have going, a big fight. Oh, I don't no. think it is. Okay. I think it's um, – well, that could be something. If they're not – if they don't have to fill, you know, 70 million thousand seats – then maybe they they they'll just treat it like they did the Vancouver card. Hey, you know, new new territory. Sure, it's a big week. Let's see who we can get on there. But yeah, I mean, you you gotta think if George is already doing yeah. his. Where is it at? The Air Canada Center, where the uh, Raptors play. Okay, yeah, no, so it's 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 big for sure. Um, yeah, that's interesting. No, I I think you're right. I think, I think maybe Tyrone Woodley will get his wish and fight George St. Pierre, or maybe George will fight. Nick, if Nick ever wants to get a payment plan set up, if he hasn't already, to get his license back. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's a it's. <sighs> everyone's talking about everyone's like Team Wonder Boy or Team Maya for the next title shot, and neither one could get it next. It's, possible. it's very possible. The worst thing they could do is make them fight each other. I agree a hundred percent, Mike. I'm glad you said that because yeah, if if they've got to fight someone else who's not on their level, each. Okay, do not waste one of those win streaks. Do not waste one of those talented, dynamic, and different styles, good-looking dudes that you can promote the heck out of with hi- very different highlights. Don't waste that on them, unless it's something that's a main event for a title. I agree. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. The welterweight division, I mean, it's just it's, – it's the log jam yeah. at the top with the GSP thing, the DS thing, Woodley, uh, Thompson, Maya. Just There's just – so much. That's crazy. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about this fight is that Carlos Condit uh, almost considered retiring after the Lawler fight. Said yeah. he would only come back for a title shot. He came back without a title shot. Uh, when they went to interview him uh, afterwards when they're in the cage, I was like, please don't retire yeah. in the immediate aftermath. Sure. Like, take the time to think. Like, you saw Peyton Manning. Everybody knew Peyton Manning was going to retire. And that would have been a situation where it's like, your neck – you surgeries, you're in your 40s, yeah. walk away. Right. But even he took the time to think about it, um, even though everybody saw the writing on the wall. So with Carlos, you kind of expected that. Or I was, I don't know that I expected that. That's the wrong word. It was a use. thing to be discussed, was, we knew. I was yeah. worried yeah. that he was going to make a rash decision and announce his retirement in the cage. And I'm glad to see that he didn't. Yeah. He did say after in the post fight press conference, that you know he wasn't sure where he fit in if he belonged or whatnot, yeah. um, and that's fine. But I'm glad he's taking the time to think about it instead of making an an, an immediate decision. Sure, which would have been horrible because he's only 32. Yeah, but he's been doing this since he was 16. Yeah, so which is crazy to think that like I think uh, somebody was comparing it to Randy Couture, and he could he made his debut I think like 18 professionally right. or whatever. And uh, fought for 14 years. He's 32, and he could be retiring. Whereas, like Randy Couture made his MMA debut at like 33 yeah. and fought into his 40s. Right. It's so pretty like, crazy. Yeah. The dam- the mileage is there. You know, a guy like Condit. Um. So the mile the the mileage is there, just like it would be on someone who plays football, like Peyton Manning, right at that position. Maybe the difference is that Peyton Manning gets paid millions and millions a year, and like whereas. So if you're, if you're going to take that risk and say, you know what, I'm just going to flip that coin again. Hopefully nothing uh, happens that's going to you know, make my life unlivable later in years. Whereas a fighter's like, yeah, I'm going to do it for what? There's a lot more incentive for Peyton Manning. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a lot I, more incentive. And, and I bet Carlos Condit. And I, he's in a position where he's got rules to protect him and he's not 
the goal of the team is to not let him get hit. That's true. I, I, I will. I hesitated to say fighting is more dangerous than football because I don't think it is. But the point is to be to allow people to hit them, hit one another, like with the punches, is, you know, and kicks and stuff. So it's it's a weird. You're right. Like there's no even theoretical protection the way it is is for a quarterback. But yeah, I. I I, I'm glad, of course, like you said, these decisions should probably be taken always with thinking about stuff. But I tell you what, if I bet Carlos has thought about it for a while, and I bet, I bet the fact that he doesn't feel a real pissed off need to jump back in there is very important. If he's not feeling a fire to jump back in there, he needs to think real hard whether or not he ever should. He, it's a tough thing to go into without. You being completely committed, and he said he got he got. You mentioned uh, Damian Maya's punch count. He he landed like one shot himself on Carlos Condit, really in that in that fight from on top and half guard. And Carlos said he was rattled by it, like his his brain. Right. Hey man, listen to that. Like he's been in crazy wars, and one punch in a fight really dazed him a bit. And he doesn't have anything to prove. No, he he certainly doesn't. He certainly doesn't. Like you know, it's just it's tough because you'd like again, like like you said, a lot of people felt like oh. I scored for Carlos Condit in that amazing fight with Robbie Lawler. So he could have been in a situation right now where he was defending his belt, could have been making more money, and you know instead he's in a two two fight loss, uh, losing skid, and so it's a tough situation. Um, it's just, I, I feel bad for him, but he definitely has nothing to prove. Like he's he's fought the best of the best and given them all they could handle, beaten most of them. Well, we've touched on the two fights, the two big cards from this weekend. Before we go. Let's rewind and go back to 202 since we didn't have a show uh, the Monday afterwards um, and kind of go over the things there. So uh, we'll focus on the main events, mm. uh, even though there were some stack cards. Sure, you know, Cody. sure. Well, actually, we'll talk about Cody, too. Yeah. But uh, let's start with the fight week, the press conference with the water bottles. <laughs> I was there. Yeah, why were you throwing water bottles, Mike? Why'd you start that? That's just always what I do. <laughs> uh, I was actually running up towards the Diaz's to try and catch the monsters uh, <laughs> because I like energy drinks. <laughs> so, that's a true story, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the liking energy drinks part, at least. <laughs> so, like, I'm sitting there, and I'm working uh, the camera. So, like, I'm kind of focused on the screen, and I'm, like, kind of doing this little thing yeah. back and forth. Uh, and... Then I kind of see Diaz get up and leave, and like the, I leave the camera on the tripod, but I'm I'm watching, like them walk out, and then I'm like, man, I should be filming this. And then it's like you got to take try and loosen the tripod so you can take the camera off. And I kind of caught it; it was hard to see, and like I was able to turn back in time to get like the great shot of uh, Conor McGregor in like full quarterback, like you know, position and <laughs> launching a can. And of course, I have the headphones plugged in which is hooked up to the microphones, uh, you know, the audio box. And you can hear Dana. Like, so part of why I turned was because I heard Dana White say, don't you throw those cans. <laughs> and like, it's like, what? And you turn around and <laughs> there's Connor. But it was just craziness. <laughs> and I mean, one, it's a bad look. Like they sure, sh stuff sure. shouldn't have been thrown. Sure. And uh, I was there and i was very adamant that it wasn't nate diaz who threw first mm. i was proven wrong very quickly yeah. online by people who were i guess the ufc's uh um live stream had better shot than uh. i did being there and there's a shot of diaz throwing the can because i remember looking at nick diaz and it coming from kind of behind him the first water bottle so i thought it was like somebody in the crew 
uh, but it was Nate. He had kind of just drifted back. But part of why I was so confused is because they walked by right behind us where we were. And like I turned around and I was very clear to me when Nate Diaz walked by that he had nothing in his hands. Yeah. So uh, that was also part of it. I was like, where did he get a water bottle? Then I went back and watched the UFC's angle and you can see that he has a water bottle and he like flicks the bird. Then he puts it in his back pocket. Uh, he's a magician. Then he does the double birds, which <laughs> is like what I remember seeing. And I remember seeing there's no water bottles in. So then he pull. then he has the bottle in his pocket and he throws it out. Anyways, <laughs> it was just absolutely craziness. And everybody in the media is just like, what just happened? <laughs> Can versus bottle. That was the story of 202. Bottles, so, bottle, water bottles from the Diaz camp and cans of Monster Energy he drink. He threw a water bottle, too. Did he? Yeah. Well, he, there's a great shot on the UFC stream where uh. he's, like, frantically looking for anything to throw on stage. <laughs> and Glover Teixeira is just, like, sitting there watching this. And then you could see... Anthony Johnson, who's like standing on stage, like oh. he had kind of gotten up and backed up a little bit against the oh really the wall yeah, um, but he's just sitting there watching. Like, <laughs> you know. And when I was looking back at the video afterwards, it, uh, at least the video that I had, it looks like Nate Diaz is kind of like on his phone like this, and he kind of shows something to Anthony Johnson yeah. sitting to his right, and then like you can kind of see Connor's talking and like they're kind of whispering. And, like, you can see Nate's looking over where his team is and Nick is. Oh, yeah. And then he kind of, like, you can see him kind of point. Like, he's – it's almost – to me, I don't know what they said. Yeah. uh, But to me, it almost looks like he's, like, telling Anthony, like, see my brother? Watch this. (laughs) I wouldn't doubt it. Watch what's about to happen. I I wouldn't doubt it. And I think think we have a new allegiance in in MMA. We've got Rumble Johnson joining uh, the Scrap Pack. So that's a pretty unbeatable team. Well, so – the first aftermath it goes without saying like we can have a little bit of fun with it because it's been removed but it goes without saying don't throw things in a crowded theater yeah um or or make sure that i get to see a good view of it if you do because well, i i yeah. don't have I mean, <laughs> like i'm so glad a little kid didn't get hit the cans with a are mother really freaking dangerous. can exactly like you can you could take put someone's eye out with that that was that was uh, – I could see why Dana White was so – like telling Connor, listen, man, don't you dare throw the thing that's branded here. They were getting money to show – they don't want their brand associated right. with getting hit with a kid. Uh, and I'm sure he cares about little kids getting hurt too. But, but uh, yeah, that was uh, – yeah, don't do it. Well, sure. Monster's never gotten more references and, except for after that press conference <laughs> uh, from a UFC event. But what's weird is like all the media were lined up, getting ready to go into this theater at the MGM, and we're all kind of like, man, doesn't it feel like nobody's really talking about this? <laughs> And we were kind of like, well, maybe it's the hangover. There's yeah. UFC 200 and all right. that. Then there was the drug stuff. John Jones, Brock Lesnar, 201 just happened. So maybe there's just like this hangover from the summer. And then, of course, this happened. And everybody's walking out. And they're like, <laughs> well, there goes that. Yeah. Like, this just went up to 15. And, and, and you're welcome, UFC and Nevada. For all the problems and trouble they'll probably get in for it, justifiably so. You're welcome. Well, <laughs> for, for courtesy like, of Connor and Nate. It looks like fines won't be an issue for either one of them after seeing the disclosed <laughs> money. So, um, but anyways, still don't throw things. But it was definitely a press conference that ramped up the energy. And I think it was it was a smart move on Nate's part. Yeah, it was wonderful. So, like, and I was a big adamant. Not the throwing necessarily, no, but, no, no. Yeah, but the walking out. The walking out. Timed. It was a mental thing yep. with Connor. And it, it tripped Connor out bad. Well, it tripped him out, and then um, when the water bottle started flying, and you see that image of him running around on stage like a lunatic trying yeah. to find anything to throw, I was like, he is in Connor's head. Yeah. 
he is a living in Connor's head, yep. rent free. Yep. The way that he was running around and grabbing stuff, I was like, Connor was composed, and he just got him out of his element. And what I think was the difference was that he made it at that press conference. He had made it a, an emotional, personal thing. Right. And part of it was because the water bottle went near his camp. Uh, supposedly, his girlfriend was hit. Mm. Like they were, the, his team was very adamant that D was hit uh, with a water bottle, which is unfortunate. Which yeah. is part of an explanation of why Connor reacted the way he did. If any I of our loved one was hit, sure. like, you know what I mean? I it would bring out that side of you. Yeah. But it seemed like he had gotten in his head and made it personal yeah. and got Connor to out of his element that he was winning the war of words at that point. What's fascinating to me is that, um, and even you could see it at the open workouts, there was Diaz fans. People were cheering for Diaz while Connor was working out. And then, of course, Connor, you see, gets frustrated, and he's like, you know, F Team Diaz. Yep. And if you're with Team Diaz, F you too. Yep. And he, like, throws the mic and walks off. He, like, stormed out. Yep. And it was like, man, he is in his head. Absolutely. And then, supposedly, according to his coach, John Kavanaugh, he said that, uh, I guess, when they were at weigh-ins or after the weigh-ins, uh, after they had had the stare down mm -hmm. with all the police officers on stage and whatnot, Supposedly, Connor looked at him backstage and was like, said something. I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, and it's making me upset that I don't know. Something <laughs> is, the, the insane act is over. Time to go. Like, like alluding that everything he had done the past few days was just playing into it and was acting out. He wanted him to think that he was insane or out of his mind. Yeah. And you could see when the fight started, he was calm. He had a game plan. He stuck to it. He didn't fight emotionally or personally. Sure. And that's kind of what I expected. Yeah. I was yeah. like, and it's because we've never seen in the UFC anyways, anybody really get under Connor's skin like Diaz yeah. did. And so you expected him to kind of come out like he did in the first fight, looking for the knockout, swinging and potentially swinging himself out. Right. But he was smart and he yeah. was calculated. He knocked Connor down or knocked Nate down uh, three times yep. over the first the course of the first two rounds. And he, Nate's dangerous from his back, oh, yeah. even after being knocked down. The triangle, um, his up kicks, sure. everything. And Connor, I think, knew that. Yeah. And he let Diaz up because like, he would kind of go in, I think, to see if he had, mm -hmm. you know, how out is Nate? Right, like, right. Can I, can I capitalize? Yeah, right. And Nate's an impossible, well, I won't say impossible, but hard to knock out. Right. So I don't think he was ever really out. So I think he came in and realized that Diaz was aware and he never really committed to trying to go for the ground and pound after knocking him down and he would let Diaz up. Yeah. And no, he was smart. I, I, I have to believe that in addition to the stuff you mentioned, like Connor screaming, let me talk, let me talk. I think the fact that he didn't get to go and talk and, and say whatever insults he had planned did mess him up in the press conference. I have to believe those things indicate that he really, at least for a bit before the fight, really did lose control a bit. I think he's just a great competitor, and he knows how to center himself back again and give himself his best and chance at winning. Very possible too. Wow. You know, maybe it, it wasn't that uh, Connor played into it. Maybe Connor did get taken out of yeah. his element, but he was smart enough to bring himself back to zero. He's and a great competitor. Yeah. I mean, and that's always been a big part of his his mystique and legend coming into the UFC, at least on in his yearly early years you know he was a big believer in the secret mm -hmm. and the thought process and the visualization and all that so i'm sure he had to get back to that at some point and not everyone can do that you know not everyone can do that i mean listen i by the way i, I scored the fight for diaz but i think both guys fought masterfully certainly in the first two rounds conor mcgregor fought 
masterfully, and he still fought effectively in spots and at least really tactically smart in in the last uh, three rounds to survive in spots and dance around. Like he, you're totally right. You're even though I scored it for Diaz, your your point stands that Connor came to give himself his best chance at winning and was really smart. Uh, you know, hit his holes. He wasn't swinging for the fences, right? Like he was, like in a baseball analogy, he was he was trying to make contact out there. When you make contact, mm-hmm. good things happen. Well, he went back to the whole precision beats yeah. power and yeah. timing beats speed. Absolutely, thing. absolutely. It did, and it, it worked for him exceptionally well. Like I thought it was going to get real ugly after the at least the the the, the first and the, the first half of the second round. I said, oh geez, Nate, it completely misjudging his range. He's used to like leaning back and down to slip punches because he's out of range. He wasn't out of Connor's punching range. I said, this is going to get bad because he had nothing for him. But, you know, I, Nate Nate fought incredibly well, and I think Connor was saved by the ball in the third and fifth rounds. But, yeah, Connor, I mean, Connor, Connor listen, whether, whoever, however you score the fight, and I scored it for Diaz, and I feel comfortable with that. Um, Connor McGregor, you can't say Connor McGregor is not a real fighter anymore. Like, that's, 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 that's absurd. Nope. He, uh, he's always been a real fighter. He's always been a, a well-rounded, skilled guy with some huge upsides. Um, he's a, he's a great fighter. Like let's, let's stop. He's a real fighter. Let's stop all that nonsense, uh, for, for the people that, that hate him. And you know, there's people that hate Nate Diaz too. Listen, he's a technical guy. He's not just some, some ruffian out there. They're both amazing, uh, fighters. And that was, that was a brutal fight, you know, from both, for, for both guys and from each one of them. And Sean Alshadi did this great piece leading up to it, uh, the heart of two and nine. That was, was awesome. Interviewed past opponents. Yeah, yeah, he did one for Aldo, which was yep. great. And I, I, th- I find them really fascinating. And there's a lot of stories that his old opponents say that, uh, you know, stuck out of my mind. So I, I downloaded it on my phone, and I was rereading it on the plane on the way back. And there was this one fighter who was like, uh, he was going on about this passage about, you know, are you fighting because you want to be a fighter? Or are you fighting because you want to be a small business owner? Blah 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 blah. Fighting Nate Diaz will help you figure out which one you are. And uh, I think, and Sean Alshadi put this on Twitter uh, the next day. He took a screenshot of that passage and tweeted it out. And it was a passage when I reread it that stood out to me. And I, I feel like we found out what Conor McGregor was all about. And sure. he's always said he's always about fighting. And that's what everybody says. And there's no reason not to believe him. But right. he was tested. And he, you know responded well in the oh, cage yeah. and he came out uh, of a war and looked good and proved himself as oh, somebody who can be pushed to the limit and overcome absolutely yeah he, he has grit as you i mean i i feel like anyone who any any of the like if, if the, the fans who just Blindly hating. This goes for anyone when they're blindly hating anyone. But the fans that maybe blindly hated Conor McGregor and didn't want to give him credit. It's okay if you don't like the the things he says. That's fine. But if you didn't want to give him credit as a fighter, they just don't know what it's like to come back from uh, ACL surgery. They just don't know what it's like to like fight to have food on the table. They don't know what it's like to fight a horrible style matchup like Chad Mendes on a few days notice. Like they don't know or what to it's have like. opponent after opponent yeah. after opponent pull And to out. deal with that, that happens like they, listen, anyone who really knew about fighting and saw this stuff, listen, he, he did a good job of hiding the fact that he was a real fighter, but with all his nonsense talk sometimes. But you could tell like yeah, this is the guy that loves it. He loves it and he's great at it, just like Nate Diaz, just like Nick Diaz, just like any one of these top fighters. Yeah. I do think like there's been a little bit of a heel turn with Connor. I think going into one eighty nine, he was beloved mm-hmm. by 
all. And I think people are getting off the bandwagon, and I feel it's like he's made the heel turn. And if, like, they going into the match, they replayed the Notorious documentary that was, like, I think on TV in yeah. Ireland. Yeah, um, that was a great one. And, you know, this is pre-chest tattoo. <laughs> um, and he's, like, sitting there, and there's this one scene where he's in this cage, and SB, or he's at SBG, um, and he's talking about, you know, kids in Ireland grow up to be, want to be soccer players, and they dream of putting that crest on, and that crest is everything to them, and blah, 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 and he's, you know, and then he's holding up these UFC gloves, and he's like, these letters are my crest, this is what I want, and it, you know, he's, you can hear the emotion in his voice when he's talking about it, I don't want to say it sounds like he's about to cry, because that, I feel like that, that paints a picture, you know, of weakness, or whatever, that isn't fair to the moment, but it's just a really emotional and intense moment, him talking about how yeah. important the fighting in the UFC is to him. And you think back to the, the press conferences after his early fights, and he's talking about being on welfare and this and that and telling collection agencies to F off or whatever. And a lot of that's gone. You know what I mean? Before yep. it was like yep. just a guy looking to live his dream, and yep. now it's a guy, and it's all like he's gone Ric Flair. It's all yeah. jets and limousine riding, and totally I right. spend more money on spilled liquor. In a year, then you make yada yada, all that kind of thing. So I feel like, and Diaz is like the anti-hero. Yeah, which is kind of like what Stone Cold was mm -hmm. in the '90s. Like he, he was the outcast, the bad boy, but now he's like the anti-hero coming in to save the day, which made it, made, two of two a compelling experience because it was much, it was much more balanced. I felt like mm -hmm. between mm -hmm. the two, as far as fans go, you know, McGregor would get booed. Diaz would get booed. McGregor would get cheered. And Diaz would get cheered. Like, it was much more split. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think they're both kind of anti-heroes at this point. Like, Conor McGregor is one of the most, in some t in some subjects, he's one of the most earnest-seeming, most interesting philosophical fighters that's out there. And then, most of the time, for the last year and a half, we just hear him talking about money and, and get pictures of him buying jewelry, which to me is very, very, very boring. But, yeah, like, he's become, like, this anti-hero. I'm going to... I'm gonna. I make more money than you, and you, and you. I'm talking about your wife and your girlfriend. I'm gonna go burn down your village. I'm talking about your na nation of people and like of, of people in a, in a in a bigoted way. Like, oh yeah, no, he's he's gone heel. Like, yeah. and and some people are gonna love it because he's still amazing and this antihero, and they'll have memories of, of the cool stuff he says. Um, well, the Irish fans will always embrace him too. Yeah, no matter yeah. what. Yeah, and no, I think that's right. And you know, Nate has. So much you talk to f to to fighters, opponents, teammates, coaches, um, even opposing coaches. Um, like, oh man, him and his brother, the hardest working, most pure martial artists uh, in the world. They're so respectful. They just, and then you'll see them flipping people off. You'll see them teaching kids classes, and then you'll see them, you well, know, doing you know smoking uh, smoking weed on camera and stuff like that. So they're both anti heroes in a sense. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the Finding DS Brothers column on <laughs> Fansided.com by one Elias Sapeta and. Speaking of passages that stood out to me, there's a passage in your story that stood out to me. When uh, you talk about going to the gym, meeting him, and him inviting you to train in what makes it sound like kind of like an after hours. Yeah, it was a closed session. They like closed yeah. the gym down and they left some of the pro fighters. And they the turned the heat people. on. <laughs> but there's like a line in there where he says, I keep telling everybody I'm on vacation, but I'm in here like working or whatever. Yep, I yep. don't know exactly what the exact quote is, but yeah. it, it, like I think about that too, you know, and there's so much like, I'm going on vacation or I'm, you know, I was in Cabo or this or that. And there's like that element of him too. Like, you know, he, and it's an interesting wrinkle with an ATS yeah. that I think uh, people are learning about. No, he's a, he's a hard worker. He's a dedicated dude. Like so many of these are And his off days. 
his non quote unquote non training day is still involved like three hours of rolling. Right. Like, you know, and he's just that type of martial artist. So yeah, that was a that was a pretty crazy experience. And and a great story. Thanks, brother. Uh, it Appreciate was, it, it is man. Fun to read. Um but Dana White says no trilogy. <laughs> and I think people blew that comment a little bit out of the water for Dana uh-huh. White's perspective. Uh I don't I think Dana White could have chosen his words better, but uh I think when he's saying the trilogy doesn't make sense, I think he I think he's meaning and this might be like when conservatives try to try to clarify Trump's comments. <laughs> yeah, like I think it's exactly bring it back that's exactly center. what it's so <laughs> sounding like it's shaping up to be. <laughs> so like I I feel like he's saying it doesn't when he's saying it doesn't make sense, I think he's saying it doesn't make sense right now, which it doesn't necessarily. Like there was a little bit of a hangover heading into this fight before all the water bottles got launched. You know, like let's let him breathe. You know, let's let Nate make a run at lightweight title. You know, what if what if Nate makes a run and wins the lightweight championship and then Connor comes up you know, after a couple title defenses sure. at featherweight, well, now there's a new wrinkle to that trilogy sure. that makes it better. Like, let's let's let them both go on their own career paths and talk <laughs> about Maya and Thompson and not wanting to end either one of their win streaks right, going into right. a welterweight title fight. Like, let's let Diaz build keep his star is still big. Like, he lost, but his star has hasn't uh, dimmed at all. Like, let's let's let him keep um, progressing. And oh man, so I think that's charitable as all get out. I'll tell you, I, I, to, I, man, I do not think that's why Dana White I said think, what he said. I mean, I don't know that he's looking into it that d- yeah, in yeah. depth. I just saying, I think he thinks he, I think he's saying it doesn't make sense to book a trilogy right away. I, you know, I think he thinks and he recognizes that a trilogy fight at some point is gonna happen and it would be beneficial to all parties involved. I just don't think he wants. I, I, that's what I think. I think he was saying not right now you could be right i will i will address uh, i got i got a counter because i'll address two things one if dana white be believes the cnn that, to my <laughs> <Fox News. laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> i'll be your msnbc i'll be your rachel Maddow. uh no uh i think okay let's let's assume dana means that truly i think he's wrong and i think it's contrary to the, what they've been been doing if they force the issue of this rematch off of it completely like okay let's 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 go back to their first fight nate diaz fights on a few days notice with no training camp and wins decisively why in the world do you run that one back you run it back because you want to give Connor another chance now we have a second fight which is this incredibly close hard to score back and forth war both men say they want it now the fans will definitely want it there's controversy it was close like it now, I don't think there'll be an issue of any real fatigue of it. People would want to watch. If this was our, a movie, they would want to press rewind and play right again. So you would book the trilogy? Well, I think, I, think, I think this. I think it, it makes, I think it makes a lot of financial sense in terms of demand. and in terms. When do you have the fans wanting one fight and the both fighters willing to do it? And why in the world would a promoter say no? I, it's not because they wouldn't make money from it. I think they would. And I think Conor McGregor doesn't want to fight that much featherweight anymore. He's not showing it. His coach, who's very vocal, John Kavanaugh, is saying he, he's telling him not to go back down there. Connor is still in the midst of, of a lot of battling with the UFC with the promise of more battling to come over terms, contracts, and stuff like that. He's saying, my next fight's not going to be in the UFC. He's saying there's going to be a bunch of hell to pay in the next Scott's contract. Gonna the fan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's what it's about. That and not wanting to give Nate a, a, an, another chance back. Listen, both guys want that fight. Um you know, maybe kind of wants another fight more immediately. I, I, I don't know. But to shut it out, to, to, to turn it down out of hand, Dana usually equivocates. 
like, I don't know. We're going to see, blah, blah, blah. He rarely shuts things down out of hand afterwards, I feel, um, especially guaranteed moneymakers. And I think he's got – I think he's wrong if he believes that, and I don't know that he believes that. I think he's smart enough to know where, where the big money is made. And that's why they've made some, like, big money f- fights recently, even when they don't make a lot of sense in terms of fairness or rankings or blah, blah, blah. They do it because there's a – you know, there's money to be made. Like, I think that's why they did this rematch. I think that's why he was trying to push Ronda Rousey into the ring, even going so far as to really fabricate things to the media and to the world, saying, Ronda's ready. And then Ronda comes out and says, I'm, I can't even chew an apple right now. I don't want to fight right now. Like, he'll push people who don't want to be in the ring into the ring again if he can make money off of them. Now we've got two willing people coming off of an all-time great thriller who, who just broke the record for, for pay-per-view sold, broke their own record. Yeah, I, that's that's... That's weird. They they go for short money right now. They don't they don't turn away from that. And I feel and I think the fact that he's turning away from it is a few things. I don't think he wants to deal with. I think he's a little wary. I think he's a little weary of of dealing with Nate Diaz. I think he's a little weary of dealing with Connor. I think he's really weary of dealing with both of them together. With both of them complaining about pay at the same time, with bigger microphones than they've ever had and bigger stage and brighter lights, with both of them demanding renegotiations all the time. I think that's um. That's not that's not that's not a thing that they want to deal with. I think the only thing that f- compels an organization like the UFC, and we'll keep it to Dana White now because he's really the only top level person still left over with the, with the new with the new ownership. The only thing that Dana White will usually, in my view, turn down guaranteed huge money in like a short term. The only reason he'd do that is because he needs to maintain or get back to order, perceived order, to the overall way of them doing things, uh, doing business. And that has to do with a, a, a power imbalance. You've got to keep fighters at a certain position. They can't match make themselves. They can't um, decide when and who they're fighting. They can't decide when they're going and doing what media and things like that, the type of stuff that Connor and Nate have been arguing about. So I think he wants to restore order a little bit. I, don't think, I think he wants to say, hey, the UFC belt is what means something. The way, you know, and as opposed to like, hey, there's these two guys that are not fighting for a belt. And that's what people want to see because of those two guys having nothing to do with the organization's belt. I think that's a problem for the UFC if they want to keep it the way they always have, which is organization first, promotion first. You know, uh, the things that we control, like belts, title shots first. So I think the fact that Connor realizes I can make money with my own name and they realize I can make money with my own name. That's about the scariest thing you can get in, su- in a fight promotion as closely controlled as the UFC. That's my theory. <laughs> well, we finally got some conflict on the show, though. We need to have more a, conflict. There's we finally a little got bit it. for everybody. Yeah. On this episode, <laughs> yeah. Depending right. on which side of the line you're on. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, I don't want to keep talking about Conor McGregor forever. But we will. But we'll, <laughs> end, we'll, end, yeah. we'll end it on this question. Who does he fight next? I'm so uh, things are really up in the air to me. Like I feel there's so much that's gonna go, that is either going on now or will go on behind the scenes that I just don't know. Like Dana White's making it seem like well, obviously he's gonna fight Jose Aldo and Connor in the post fight press conference is saying well, uh, may not. And also, what are they gonna do? Strip me? They can't strip me. That's ridiculous. The, you know, it's it's a weird situation now. We've got we've got Dana White saying Tyron Woodley's fighting. Stephen Thompson. We get then we have Tywin Rudley going to Twitter saying, "I'm not. I haven't signed anything." Like it's a it's a lot of there's a lot of push and pull. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. You think you think featherweight title, but then you got a fighters coach saying, "I don't want him to fight a featherweight anymore." 
and a lightweight champion wanting to fight him. Yeah, lightweight champion wants to fight him. I bet Eddie Alvarez would fight Nate Diaz too. Like, right? And I bet, and also, I, I honestly, I love giving my opinion. I honestly don't know what's going to happen next for him or Nate. You heard it here first. <laughs> Elias said he likes to hear himself talk. <laughs> <laughs> so let's that was obvious already. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> so let's go to uh, the co-main event. Anthony Johnson knocks out Glover Teixeira in 13 seconds. Oh, man. Scary dude. Now there's talk that he might have to fight uh, John Jones instead of Daniel Cormier. Yeah. Does that make any sense to you? It makes sense in a couple ways. It makes sense if they want to, like, give DC a break and he's asking for one. It makes sense if they want to punish John Jones. It may, uh, uh, you know, like, and say, no, you're not, your next fight's not going to be for the title. punishing Daniel Cormier? Like, what if Anthony Johnson – well, think about it this way. What if Anthony Johnson beats John Jones? Yeah, yeah. Daniel Cormier doesn't stand to have the financial windfall that he That's would if he fought, fights John Jones. I wonder if he could take a shine, though. Like, would, would Rumble Johnson be as big as John Jones if he beats him, or no? I don't... You don't think so? I mean, to us? Yeah, right, right. But it takes more time. Or to the casual fan buying pay-per-views. Yeah, true, true, yeah. That's a good question. It could be it could be punishing DC as well. I hadn't thought about that. And the, the thing is, like he he like Damian Wright only has so many years left. Yeah. And so you're gonna make him wait. Maybe he doesn't want to fight John Jones so much anymore. And I wouldn't blame him. Like maybe he really really wanted to, but now he's like, you gotta be kidding me. Like he's like you said, I've, we've been booked four times. We fought one ringer. Yeah. It's like so maybe he doesn't want it anymore. I don't know. That's an interesting question though. Um, it's a it caught me off guard. I can't pretend like I saw that coming. That definitely caught yeah. me off guard. John Jones, no matter where you go, boy, I'm coming. But here's the other thing. <laughs> like, isn't it absurd that somebody would be defending their interim title? Oh, is that what they're saying they're going to do? Well, yeah. They better. John Jones was never stripped. Well, so, like, you're going to have somebody that had that defend, title. or at least that's how I understand it, yeah. that he was never stripped. He was removed from the rankings but never sure. stripped. So you're going to have an interim title defense when there's a champion who's willing and ready to fight? Yeah, that fight better not be an interim title defense if that's the way they're going to do John. It better be the number one contender's fight. I agree. That would be really flimsy. I mean, John Jones is still off the rankings. Sure. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Read into that, that mean, however you want. <laughs> that means Jimmy and Janie nonsense that have voted on this uh, don't don't like him or they weren't allowed to vote for him. I don't know. Well, the, or the UFC kept him off. You yeah. Know, uh, oh, gosh. But anyways. That's funny. Yeah, that, that, that matchup is weird. Like, I wonder if Rumble wants that fight. He's like, that's a big fight. I'll take it. Or if he's like, screw that. I, I, I want the title fight. I don't think Daniel Cormier necessarily took a lot of damage in that Silva fight. I mean, he took oh, some. Yeah. Definitely. But I, I don't know that he took. <laughs> I think he took damage against Rumble Johnson. <laughs> and I think he will if they fight again. Yeah. But so, I, yeah. But I mean, my point being is, like, I don't think he's in a position where he's, yeah. as far as I'm aware, re waiting to heal. Have we heard him react to that? Has he said, hey, wh what's going on? No, no, no. I want to fight one of these guys. I mean, I'm sure he's addressed it on UFC tonight, and I just yeah. haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't either. Because that'll be indicative of something. If he doesn't, if he's not complaining, then maybe he's like telling him, no, go ahead, let these guys fight it out. I'm chilling for a little bit. Well, and we know that even though he is older, he is very willing to take the time and wait. Yeah. He said after UFC 192 when he fought Alexander Gustafsson that he wanted to wait. Yeah. And he did. Yeah, he's smart. So that very well could be the case too. Yeah, I wonder. But it definitely threw me for a loop. And then let's move on and wrap up with the uh, arguably the star of UFC 202 outside of Connor and uh, Nate. Cody Garbrandt yeah. beats uh, Takeo Mizugaki. Yeah, in yeah. 47 seconds. Jeez. 
calls out Dominic Cruz, says, I beat him faster than you, which is funny because Jose Youngs, for fan, who writes for Fansided and Flow Combat, he uh, was telling me before we were talking about whether he would get the next title shot. And Jose was like, I could see it if he knocked out Mizugaki <laughs> faster than Dominic That's Cruz funny. did. And then he happened. Yeah. And yeah. then not only did it happen, Cody brought it up, <laughs> which was just really fascinating <laughs> for the two of us remembering that conversation. But, um, you know, gets a, another impressive win. Three straight first-round knockouts. Yeah. Do you give him the title shot? Next? Yeah, I think you got to. I mean, I would have given it to him after his win over Almeida. Um, yeah, I think you got to. Mizugaki. For those that don't know, he's been a top contender for like ten years. Like he's he's excellent. He he fought Miguel Torres for the for that for the world title at one thirty five when it was a WEC belt, and Miguel got the decision. But a lot of people thought Mizugaki should have done it. So basically, got yeah, Cordy Garbrandt just smoked a longtime contender and arguably a former world champion. So yeah, I think you got to do it, especially with that comparative analysis right like i beat, beat him faster than you beat him because dominic cruz beat him really fast too right so yeah i think you got to do it you got that heat with the uh, team alpha male like yeah you, you, you got to make well, that then fight. you have the the call out you know he it. calls out cruz he's he's focused on the fox uh set that was up in the Pretty upper cool. levels of the arena you can see they flashed a cruise cruise is looking down at him arms out and then of course everything comes out afterwards where they supposedly had this backstage yeah. interaction walking into the uh, arena, which, by the way, you can see the tail end of it on Owen Roddy, Conor McGregor's coach, who started doing this vlog thing. Oh, and the striking coach. I didn't realize Yeah, that. he has, like, this vlog, and uh, you can see the tail end of it. Um, like, kind of DC, it looks like it's kind of like, Cruz, come on, man, like, calm down. And then, like, Cody walking off. And uh, so you can see the tail end of That's the awesome. interaction right there. That. Yeah, it's like 48 seconds into his UFC 202 uh, vlog. Okay. So, like, there's that aspect of it. Um, you know, the, like you mentioned the Team Alpha Male thing. And quite frankly, Cody could be a star. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is a kid who knocks people out in a weight class that's not necessarily known for knockouts. Um, yep. You know, the lighter weight classes. And he's going in there knocking people out. He's... Uh, you know, some people, Cruz was hating on him for his tattoos or whatever, but I think he has a good look, even though he's tattooed up. I think he looks the part. Um, yeah, the neck tattoo is, is a love it or hate yeah. it thing. And, but, but like, expanding upon that, he, uh, going into this fight, he, like, he came to media day. He was dressed in a suit. Yeah. He's he a was sharp, kid. sharp, yeah. sharply dressed. Oh. And it was like, supposedly, uh, I think I heard this from Ariel Hawani, that it was a, the designer's name is like David Augustus or something suit. It's like a guy who does like suits that cost like $10,000 each. Supposedly he does like Fertitta's Lorenzo Fertitta oh, wow. suits. He's done a suit for Conor McGregor, like really expensive suits. And Cody got him one of those. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, I mean, oh, yeah, the kid not only model. was he dressed yeah. like, well, he was dressed really well. <laughs> yeah. Right, like, right, right. Um, not like be like Conor McGregor can't say he's the only one showing up in custom made suits <laughs> anymore. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, and he's he's well spoken, yeah, and and he's entertaining to watch. Like he's like the full package. And Dominic Cruz has acknowledged him and said, "Let's do it." Yeah, so and they there's better a, do it. And there's built in like you mentioned with the team alpha male, the yeah. built in heat there. And uh, that's a great fight. That's a headlining fight. I love it. Yeah, so uh, really excited about that. Really 
it would have been cool to see Cody get on the Cleveland card since he's from that area. Um, but it was cool to see him fight at 202 and get get into the win. It would have yeah. been really cool if he could have been another, he would have been another Cleveland person on that card besides yeah. like Jessica I and Stipe. But uh, anyways, that's a fight that I'm really looking forward to. Got to do it. That might be the the fight I'm looking forward to the most over yeah. the back half of the year. Well, we also don't know what the fights are. Yeah, but, but so far the ones that seem right. out there, yeah. I mean, that one's not even booked, but um, so you're not like, look, you're not looking most looking forward to CM Punk's fight. That's not your number one. It's not my number one. I don't. I don't think. I mean, I am anymore. looking forward to it, but it's not my number one. <laughs> and uh, you know, Cody's going to be doing a uh, interview later this week for uh, a feature that we're going to do on Sports Illustrated. Oh, that's awesome. So um, maybe we can have him back on the show after that to yeah, uh, talk about the feature. Love to talk with uh, him. I've never gotten to talk with him. I'd love to talk with him. So, anyways, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, and that's pretty much. All I got from UFC 202. I mean, we're a little late, but better late than never. Um, do you have any closing thoughts before we go? No, man. That's it. Other than, uh, other than the fact that Anthony Johnson is now my favorite in any fight that he like favored to win in any fight he fights. I favor him over John Jones. I favor him over Danny Comrie. As crazy as that is. One more thing about Anthony Johnson is, it was crazy how he became. He has um, a history that is colored. Mm-hmm. Uh, or colors the wrong way to phrase that it's marred by incidents that he's had uh, that domestic abuse stuff exactly yep and he was a voice of reason uh, throughout the week saying like hey we you know at the weigh-ins or not at the weigh-ins at the open workouts at uh, the post-fight interview you know we are professional athletes we need to act a certain way and i don't approve the way that people have been acting there good for him which um you know that's the first reaction you're like good for him this yeah. guy's being the voice of reason and then you're kind of like but wait but if it's a new turn and he's not gonna throw women's yoga mats at the gym anymore then hope, good hopefully that is what it is it's a yeah. new turn and you know it was nice to see somebody because nobody else would <laughs> nobody else on that card i think really acknowledged what was going on and said like hey we need to act like professionals and he addressed that head on and made that's interesting a point to say like let's act like professionals i'm still team water bottle if there were no cans involved i would have been fine with a uh, with a water bottle fight mike dice really he's gonna go on the record he really disagrees with me and that is for sure something he deserves credit for i'm all about the water bottles no cans please water bottles fine by me just Lightly toss me. Lightly, yeah. I'll Roll them. the cans yeah. to Mike. He'll drink them. He does a lot of work. All right. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for joining us. Next week we'll be back on Monday with episode six. Uh, guest to be announced. We'll try and get Cody on. But thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. Uh, just a reminder: you can download the app or the I- podcast on iTunes. You can download it on Google Play. It's in the TuneIn app. You can it's- rate it too. It's what? You can rate those yeah, episodes. Yeah, you can rate and review those. <laughs> it's also on SoundCloud. It's in a million places. We'll upload the video element of it to fansided.com. We'll also upload it to YouTube. So we're trying to give you as many ways as possible to consume it. And thank you for listening and uh, for those of you who do listen. So until next time. <laughs>